You're listening to the Teach Better Talk podcast featuring expert educators eager to share progressive tactics to reach more students. Teach Better Talk is created by teachers and fueled by passion. Let's get started. Hey everyone, welcome to lucky episode 21, I can't believe it, of Teach Better Talk. I am Ray Hewart, and as always, I'm with the pretty awesome Jeff Gargas. Hey guys. We have a ton in store. I know we say that every single time, but this one is something very special. But before we get into all those details, Jeff, how's your day going so far? Uh, My day is going fantastic. Uh, Really excited for episode number 21. Uh, we've got Phil Strunk with us, and Phil's been part of our Twitter network family, whatever you want to call it, PLN, for a while now. Um, getting in on our mastery chats uh, most Thursday nights, and then he's got an awesome chat that comes right up after us at 9 o'clock on Thursday's um, uh, Wild Ed chat, um, so you can catch him there. Phil is a, a, a history teacher, middle school history teacher from Northern Virginia. He, like I said, he runs the Wallet Chat Thursdays at 9 p.m. He's got a really cool uh, YouTube show. If you haven't checked it out, you need to check out Edusations, uh, where he interviews educators from all over the world. So we obviously really like that. It's a great way to bring educators together, share their awesomeness, and help people continue to go uh, bigger and better and help more and more kids. So, Phil, really, really appreciate you taking some time out of your super busy schedule to hang out with Ray and I and chat with us and have a little bit of fun. So first and foremost, man, how are you feeling today? Hey, thanks so much for having me on. I am doing great today. Good start to the week and uh, looking forward to seeing what goes next. (laughs) You know, Phil, like Jeff kind of said in his introduction, we've been following each other for a whole long time. So getting to actually chit chat with you today is super exciting. (laughs) Yeah, I I was low key geeking out whenever the opportunity came up. I thought, (laughs) wow, two people that I love interacting with on Twitter and, and now we get to engage in a real, you know, quote unquote, real conversation. And it's just something that simply didn't happen 10, 15 years ago either. So it's really cool how technology has been able to do this as well. Absolutely. And I know Jeff gave you a little bit of an introduction, but in terms of the whole picture of everything that you're able to do throughout your week, because I know you're involved in so many different things. When someone walks up to you and says, hey, Phil, what do you do? What's your typical answer? I feel like I, I feel like I get really deep really quick whenever they ask me that question because I tell them, you know, I teach kids. I spend every day trying to make sure this future making sure that tomorrow is a little bit brighter. And I want to bring hope to the students that have no hope that have been feeling pushed down. I want to take students that need that extra push and inspire them to find their potential to make the world, to make our future so much better and brighter. Mm. I, 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 we like, we can just stop right there. I think that was good. <laughs> well, that was- you, know, <laughs> you ever watch that YouTube video where the one person asks the, the teacher, you know, what do you make? Oh, you yes. And, and that just really got my, my gears turning and thinking, how can I respond to that a little bit cleaner, but, um, or a little bit, uh, less vulgar maybe to a degree, but (laughs) I wanted to make sure that, that I'm communicating that we do so much more than, than just give a lesson in the middle of a Mm -hmm. classroom. We, We do so many things to try to make that future better and brighter. So let me, let me ask you, Phil, speaking of that, so that future bigger and bright, brighter, better for them. In your mind, if I ask you, what's the number one, and I know there's a lot of focus, what's like the most important thing we need to focus on when we talk about making that future brighter and just better for students? 
I think it has to come down to preparing them for their futures by thinking about what are things that they need. You know, I teach history and, and oftentimes people say, oh, well, that's just the, the memorization, the facts, the people, the places, but it's a lot more than that. It's teaching those critical thinking skills, teaching them to be able to empathize and prepare them for the jobs that are going to come out in the future. There's a great commercial that's been on TV recently, and the commercial has been talking about how students are beginning to, or the students we have now are going to be going into jobs that don't even exist yet. So being able to prepare our students by giving them those critical thinking skills, those higher order thinking abilities, so they can approach those jobs that don't exist yet and be able to master them whenever they are invented. Absolutely. They're going to be doing jobs that don't exist using technology that we can't even think of yet. Without a doubt. It's just, it's, a, it's unbelievable. It's awesome. To think about. Yeah. It's, and yeah. that's why it's such a crucial job that the teachers have to get mm-hmm. people ready for that. It's awesome. I like to tell people, I'm, I'm hard pressed to think of too many other jobs that get to affect the future quite the way that, mm-hmm. that we do in education. Yeah. You know, Phil, it's so interesting when we ask kind of people on our podcast what they do, we, we talk to a lot of people that are outside of the classroom. So they're talking in very broad strokes, but being able to talk to a teacher in the trenches who has this philosophy that that you're not just in your content area to teach your content area, but trying to teach that whole student. It's something so valuable and honest. I love that that is your focus every single day because you're right. Social studies often gets, you know, the the short straw, right? You pull them out of social studies for intervention in many classes, you know, and it's kind of the class that they associate with, like you said, memorization. So to try and put a spin on the incredible skills that you're able to utilize in a content area that you just so happen to be incredibly passionate about right. to really give students the skills they need. I mean, wow, I totally connected with with your insight there. It's incredible. And it's crazy how history has changed over time. There's a lot of books that they write about the the future and the past of history education. And they talk about how the his, history, the way that we interpret it now is not always the way that it's been and that it's been uh, historians in ivory towers not getting down into the trenches and having these conversations about how history is so much more than that memorization that we're missing out on. I know whenever I went into college for my undergraduate degree, we spent some time looking at, at what does it mean to study history? And I thought, well, hey, I'll be really good at this because I can memorize stuff easily. Hmm. Later, I realized, no, I have to be able to to apply these these critical thinking skills and being able to to empathize with others. And that's what's really the bigger components of history than just knowing what date events happens. And that's what I'm, I'm trying and hoping that my students are seeing at the same time as well. But you know, you're right too. teaching, you know, the content is, is important to me. It's very important to me. It's why I chose that content, but it is so much more about preparing my students for their futures over our past to, to use the cliche. <laughs> no, when we, t- when we talk about that, you know, that this, you know, building a better future and a brighter future and, and, utilizing those skills and building those skills and preparing these students, that's not an easy job. And when you're in the trenches and you're in there every day trying to do this and, and focus on being the best you can be, there's a lot of ups and downs. So we talk a lot you know, about failures and, and looking at this. So can you kind of take us with you, share, share a time with us that, that you failed, tell us what happened, how did it make you feel, how did you overcome it, and then what did you take away from that? Yeah, so this school year, it's been awesome. We we just started with a one-to-one initiative, so all of our students have Chromebooks. The The amount of innovation going on at, at Johnson Williams, that's the middle school I teach at, has been incredible. But there's also been a lot of road bumps, and one of the first ones was something that I call App Day. Typically, what I find is that any time that, that there's been a big failure in my class, it's because I did not do a very good job explaining my expectations clearly enough to my students. 
What app day was, was it was the first couple of days of school, I gave them HyperDocs to kind of introduce the, the different sorts of apps that we were going to be using throughout the year. That way I didn't have to reteach it a thousand times and, and I didn't have to waste the time then. So I'd front load it at the, at the beginning of the year. What I was finding was that students were spending way, 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 way too much time on the first app. And as a result, we weren't progressing through things. Students were getting frustrated over things that we weren't necessarily going to use the apps for, or um, you know, I was just trying to get them to, to move on. That way we could get started in actual applications of those apps. So I realized it wasn't, it was mainly because I didn't clearly communicate that the point of the day was just to experiment, just to play around and have fun with the apps. It wasn't that they had to become a master of the app on that particular day. Ultimately, what it's led to is me being very, very reflective in considering how do I want to specifically explain my, my expectations to my students on this. Even on the smallest, most minute things, I want to make sure that I'm clear in my expectations so that whenever we are working together, whenever you know rubber meets the road, things are going to go well. and I'm going to see future successes as a result of that as well. Awesome. And that, yeah, like that communication is such a key piece and such an important skill for us to continue to teach those kids as well. So them seeing that shift in you is, is powerful for them to get as well. So, so now can you flip it around for us? Let's talk about a success or something that you've yeah. done that's either been big or small, whatever it is, but tell us what happened. Why was it a success to you? And then what did you take away from that? Have either of you ever watched the show Shark Tank before? Oh, yeah. Oh, I love that show. Yeah, right? One of my favorites. So um, one, one of the performance tasks that I had my students do was a Shark Tank. We were learning about the turn of the century, and we were talking about all the new inventions that were, that were created during that time period. And what I had students do was I had them pick one of the inventions I had up on the board, and they had to give a Shark Tank pitch to the rest of the class, who were the sharks. And they had to explain why their invention was so important during that time period. They had to try to convince the class who every student had $100,000 to invest to invest in them. And really, this the cool thing about this PBA was how much it helped. Well, how much I was able to open up to my students and be more open to their ideas. So to give you an example, one of the inventions that I had no idea was invented around this time was the ice cream scoop. And I thought it was goofy enough. I was going to put it up there as an option. And the one group who, who selected the, the ice cream scoop, well, we'll go ahead and say they, they could probably use a little bit of extra love. And uh, they came up to me a, a few days before the presentation and said, Mr. Strunk, can we bring in ice cream for this? And I said, you know, how are you going to use this? And they said, well, we want to do one with a regular spoon and, and spoon it out. And then the other, we want to scoop it out and then we'll give samples to the class. Just so you know, I have this class at 8 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> and... I said, you know what? This is just crazy enough. Sure, go ahead. Let's see what happens. And and it turned out to be a huge success. You know, I don't know what the what they looked like in other classes. I imagine there was a big sugar rush going on, but <laughs> it was incredible to see their passion put into this project because I gave them the freedom. I had a similar experience with the students who chose to do Coca-Cola, asking if they could bring in vintage Coke products and and even bring in some Coke for sampling and stuff. And and seeing them get so excited with it, I had a huge blast with it. They had a blast with it. It's definitely one of those PBAs that I want to continue to use because it, it helped me realize whenever I give students more voice in the classroom and whenever I give them that opportunity to be open and explore and be innovative, it's a win-win situation for, for both them and me in the classroom. You know, Phil, I think that ice cream at 8 a.m. is a genius idea. Yeah, me I too. We should all have ice cream for breakfast. It's yes. forever changed my breakfast patterns, you know? <laughs> 
I really like the innovation of the students wanting to compare a spoon ver- versus a scoop, though. That's yeah. Just- like very smart and practical because you know how many of us can't find the scooper. So we use a spoon and it's different. Exactly. It is much tougher. You break the spoon and then you get sad about it afterwards because you know, you forget how much you spent, you paid for the spoon, but you know, probably mm-hmm. more for that set. <laughs> it's true. Absolutely. I feel like when we were kids and we broke spoons, it was like, eh, no big deal. Now as an adult, I'm like, Oh, I paid for that. Oh. Exactly. <laughs> No, you know what? I'm going back to your failure story. You talked about apps day mm-hmm. and I really love your emphasis on needing to communicate, but also um, something that you didn't necessarily touch on was how valuable it was to have students explore new technology. Yeah. I recently did, um, gosh, a topography unit in my math class where students were going to explore using virtual reality to kind of like walk through portals to different parts of the world. And then I gave them the topographical map and they needed to kind of figure out where they were. That's awesome. Well, thank you. I thought so too, except it was a complete, like, um, it was either a lesson that was going to go really, really well. Uh It was going to go awful. You know how one of those lessons are? (laughs) Yeah, that's the boomer bust, right? Absolutely. And so I introduced it to my kids. And to be frank with you, I actually introduced it like, hey, guys, this is an idea I had, and it's either going to be awesome or it's going to flop and it's going to be one of the worst lessons we've ever done. And they nodded their head with me and they're like, all right, Miss Hewitt, let's try it. And I think there's so much power in allowing students to explore tech. You know, we don't always necessarily need to be the experts, but being able to communicate our expectations using the technology tool is really all we need for them to be partners in the exploration. Yeah, and I love that vulnerability that you had. This could be a, this could either be really good or really not good. I did the same thing with my students whenever I introduced Nearpod to them. I think students love it because they see us as real human beings, and they realize, hey, if if Miss Yord or, or if Mr. Strunk's willing to take this risk, then I should be willing to take risks too. It, whether they whether they consciously or subconsciously consider that whenever they do their next assignment. You know, Phil, I know that you just brought up Nearpod. For those people that don't use it, can you kind of talk really quick about what that tech tool is? Yeah, so I'm still trying to figure it out a little bit too. The One of the cool things that our school did is with our one-to-one initiative, we've bought some subscriptions. Nearpod is this incredible app that thus far for me has provided opportunities for me to provide self-paced lessons for students. But another thing it does is if you're familiar with Pear Deck, and if not, let me try to explain how, how Nearpod works in a better sense. Students sign up for a class code and then you can run through the lesson on everybody's screens at the same time as well. So like um, whenever I was doing one on Native Americans, their warm up, I, I had students draw, draw pictures to try to give the class clues as to which Native American tribe they could be drawing. And then the class had to try to guess which tribe it was. And then we continued to progress through things, take little quizzes, uh, the really cool thing about Nearpod is its virtual reality component. So I actually had them go out and visit a Native American home and, and explore the map there as well. Um, it's it's a really cool app, and, and I'm still trying to explore it more. So I may have to report back to you uh, later as I've, as I've used it more, too. Well, and if people are listening, if they use Nearpod and might have suggestions for us, please reach out not only to Phil, but for me, too. Because to be honest with you, I use Pear Deck, but have not explored Nearpod yet. So that's on my list. I literally just wrote it down. <laughs> Yes. Um, So in terms of that exploration, I think that seems to be one of the biggest pieces that I'm excited about in education. You know, teachers are taking this shift from being the all-knowing information deliverers. And after Google and YouTube, I mean, we're outdated. We, you know, (laughs) teachers are now becoming facilitators of exploration. You know, we're facilitating the learning. We're teaching students 
mm-hmm. life skills to be able to be strong learners. And that shift in education is is thrilling to me. I, I love being able to witness, to work with teachers in workshops or when we go and do district trainings, be able to see that that shift that teachers make from lecture, you know, educators to innovative educators. Mm -hmm. And so when you think about education, all the things you're exploring right now, what's one thing in education that you are really excited about? Hmm. Lots of things I'm excited about. uh, And I have to say, probably overall in education, the thing that has me most excited is the amount of options that students are able to have. I can think of, and and the amount of innovation that occurs in projects and, and performance tasks that go on. I can remember growing up, I did a lot of different sorts of performance or or, you know, what they would call projects. And they were very simply, hey, create a five slide PowerPoint on such and such topic or create a poster on the Peloponnesian War or my personal favorite. Hey, use fruit to create the solar system. And outside of knowing that grapefruit makes a great sun, I didn't really learn anything else about the solar system. What I'm finding instead is that these performance tasks, these projects that we do now are so much more authentic, so much more relevant to our students. And and the thing that I'm excited about within my own school is that since we went one-to-one this year, I'm able to provide more of those technology components to make them even more authentic than I could before whenever I was begging and pleading with somebody to please let me use the Chromebook cart for just one more day. Or, or just to get to use it in general as well. It, it's an exciting time in education as we kind of abandon this factory model of, hey, everybody sit and get for the entire time and then we'll spit homework at you to do where you're going to simply regurgitate information and bring it back in. It's so much more, what can you do? How can you use this knowledge, apply it to create something new, exciting, cutting edge, innovative, and, and every other big 21st century innovative buzzword you can think of? Gosh, I loved your example you just said about the solar system and the grapefruit. You're hysterical. Did you experience this? No, you know, not only did I experience it, but I I met with a teacher this past weekend for coffee in the middle of the afternoon because he was struggling with his content. And I, t- I we were emailing and I was telling him, let's meet for coffee. Let's brainstorm your flexibility. He was feeling very constricted by the curriculum he was being forced to teach. And as we were looking through, he was teaching an engineering class. I'm like, I'm like, there's got to be an innovative way to be doing this. I was shocked that he was struggling. As I was looking through his curriculum, though, it was a grapefruit project. It, it was. It was a, <laughs> you're going to build a business, and I, the first job is to write a letter. And I was like, oh, that's a great idea. They're going to create letterhead and you know, kind of build this mm-hmm. business from the ground up. And then the project was to copy the text that they provided you on your computer screen. And I looked at him and I was like, isn't that just a typing class? Yeah. Like trying to find innovative, authentic ways to ensure that your students are actually understanding what the goal of the project was versus just doing a meaningless task and checking a box saying, yep, I produced that. Yeah, and I feel like we're at this interesting bridge in education too, where we have the the old sit and get model and we're transitioning into this innovative model. I think history will will have a very interesting reflection on education during this time period, because I think we're also getting to the point now where, and and I, I'm sure other people, I know other people have said this online, and it's something that, that I like to say to teachers at conferences that I present at too, is if you just take something that you have and you start typing it on a Google Doc, and or if you have an essay, instead of writing it, you're typing it on a Google Doc, that's not the definition of innovative, because it's the same product, you know, Try to think and expand what else could it be? What are the opportunities to make it meaningful and relevant to our students? And that's where you're going to find your gold mine. 
Absolutely. And so the teacher I was working with was actually a first year teacher. He just graduated from college and, you know, he's kind of dabbling in feeling constricted with curriculum, but also wanting to be a strong educator and then all the other issues that come with your first few years teaching. What's one piece of advice that you give either new teachers or teachers that have recently started a job or maybe they're fresh in the career? What's what's the biggest thing that they need to keep in mind as they move forward? Whenever I first started teaching, I had this huge passion about wanting to be liked. My department chair, who is who's one of my best friends now and, and one of my mentors, she she constantly comes up to me and says, you know, Phil, I remember whenever you always said, whenever you wouldn't do anything that you're worried about would lead to your students not liking you. And what I've discovered since then is that it's more important to be respected than being liked, but the two don't have to be mutually exclusive either. You know, there are definitely places for boundaries to be had. There are definitely times where you just need to have clear expectations with your students. But that doesn't mean that your students won't like you as a result of it. In fact, what I found is that whenever I establish the, these sort of ground rules, these expectations, uh, whenever, I, whenever I'm firm at certain points, I can still be absolutely silly with them too. Like today, whenever I was asking them uh, about, you know, where should I take my wife for pizza on Friday or, or other conversations along those lines as well. Well, and that's so important. I mean, to be able to, to relate to your students and, and build a, build a relationship with them. I mean, that's where the learning stems from, right? It's that famous quote from Rita Pearson that, you know, kids don't learn from people they don't like. And it's, it's just the truth. Yeah, exactly. I can think of plenty of teachers who came in and on the first day of school were were very, very strict with me, made no desire to get to know me or or anything else. And I'll be honest with you, I can't really remember their names. There were other teachers who were a total mess, had no rules. They just wanted to be liked. I remember them as really having a, really not having too many fond memories of their class. The teachers I remember most fondly were the ones that had a lot of fun, spent a lot of time getting to know me, and also had these clear expectations of how we perform and how we do business in that class. Yeah, and that's that 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 key, that blend that you were talking about, about being liked and being respected. They don't have to be exclusive. You got to have both. And I think a lot, if you build that respect, you can still build the like, but that respect has to be there, that, that those rules and regulations. So I'm going to give you an opportunity now to earn our respect. Okay. So we're going to do the next six questions, but you got 15 seconds or less to answer each. Okay. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Let me get my sweat towel real quick. All right. So here we go. What is one ed tech tool you cannot live without? No doubt in my mind, Screencastify. I love that app. What is one book that you are reading right now? The Mortal Engines series. Really excited for the movie to be out now. Awesome. Uh, who do we need to follow on Twitter today? My school's ITRT, Pat Hausman. He's at PHAS Tech. And what's the best YouTube channel or website or blog for educators? I'm going to go ahead and shamelessly plug my own. Check out Edusations on YouTube. I'm already, I, I think that's a good plug. Uh, what is one daily, weekly, or monthly routine that every teacher should get into? Spend that quality time reflecting, which they can do in Whale Chat Thursdays at 9 p.m. There's another shameless plug for you, nice. Jeff. I love He's it. good at those shameless He's plugs. He's good. It's good. It's good. Keep uh, it up. And what is the best piece of advice you've ever received? Don't take it personal. Whenever a student misbehaves, there's so many times where it is something else totally unrelated to you. Uh, such good advice, like just in life in general. But, yeah, so much in the classroom. Like the, There's so many things going on. Un, under the under the surface there that you may not know of yet that it's yeah when not, i was that's such yeah 
when I was student teaching, the first test that I gave, a little girl looked at it and put her head down and started crying. So I'm thinking, oh no, what did I do? My mentor teacher took her out into the hallway and it turned out that her grandmother was sick mm. um, and that it had nothing to do with, with the test whatsoever. And so that's been a good reminder for me whenever, whenever a student may not be making the most positive choice they could be making in the classroom. Gosh, it takes years to master that too. God, trying not to take things personal. Yeah, I still struggle with it. You know, just the other day, there was there was an incident where I'm like, okay, just breathe deep. They're 12 years old. Nothing to do with you. Move on from it. It's true. So I have a final question for you, Phil, and it's really important because I want to make sure that if our listeners wanted to follow up with you on anything we've discussed, we've talked tech, we've talked, you know, reflection, we've talked a hundred different topics. If they want to continue this conversation afterwards, how can they get a hold of you? Lots of different ways. They can connect with me at Mr. P. Strunk on Twitter. Uh, I have a website, philstrunk.com, and there's a contact page there if they want to reach out to me. And if they also want to check out my YouTube channel, Edusations, I'm having conversations with educators from all over about things that they're doing uh, in all of their education environments as well. Awesome. And you guys know you can find all the links and resources, everything that we've talked about uh, in today's episode over at teachbetter.com, as well as as those important links for connecting with Phil. Um, including his website, and we'll link to the, the YouTube show as well. Everything for you is over at teachbetter.com in the show notes. Uh, be sure to hit subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. And if you can give us a rating and a review, we'd really appreciate that as well. Phil, super, super honored to have you on. Really appreciate your time um, and sharing your stories with us. And I hope maybe we can bring you back again another time down the that road an and talk more about uh, – how your year has gone and, and how, how, how more, how many more failures you've had and what we've learned from it. So really appreciate it guys. Make sure you go check out a Phil show Educations. It's awesome. The chat is fantastic on Thursdays as well. A great time to reflect like Phil said, but thank you, sir, so much for coming on. We really, really appreciate it, man. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. And until next time, guys, let's get out there. Let's teach better. Mm-hmm.